Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Many years ago, when I was in graduate school, I was part of a church, and we had a young adult fellowship. We actually had a Sunday school. And it was fun and engaging. Everything was great about it, except we did not care for the name, especially the very uninspiring name that the church gave us, the Young Adult Sunday School Class. (laughs) So we decided to change it. And since we were both college and career, I was in law school at the time, we changed it to the young and the restless. <laughs> that did not go over very well with the church leadership, so they decided to change it to something else, and they did a mashup of our names and call it the careers, college and careers. Well, you win some and you lose some. And I'm sure you've heard that old adage that uh, the one thing you can't the one thing you can count on is change. Because change is constant in our world, like death and taxes, and we're coming up to that with IRS time in April. But it seems as if change is coming at a much faster rate. And not just coming at a greater velocity, but it's coming right at you these days. And there seems to be no escape. It seems like we're no longer living the lives we used to live, but rather we are barely dealing with life as it comes at the speed of life, the speed of light. And no sooner do I get my new cell phone with the updates on the programs or computer software or even a new insurance plan, and then the technology is out of date, my choices are no longer supported, and the decisions I just made are now expired just like that gallon of milk that's been sitting for two weeks in your refrigerator turning into cottage cheese. Wonderful, wonderful. And even the evening news, it's no help because it brings everything right into your laptop in terms of the flu invasion, earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, the rise and fall of the stock market, uh, crime, the spread of wars and rumors of wars, you know, from anywhere in the world, so it's right there in your face. And just ask anyone, hey, how you doing? And then listen for the word overwhelmed. That's our lives. It's like we are not so much living our lives, it's that life is coming at us too fast to handle. And at this point in the continuum, we counter in today's Mark's Gospel. It's a day in the life of Jesus, if you will. And in just a few verses, we see Jesus bouncing from need to need to place to place. And a diary of his day could be just as jam-packed as a politician on a speech stump trying to win votes because he is moving from point A to point B. Even before he gets to point B, something jumps up. He is in a synagogue on the Sabbath doing a healing in a very public place, a very high-profile situation right there. And the next thing we know, he's doing a personal encounter healing someone. It's it's a sick woman. It's Peter's mother-in-law. And then he goes away on a private retreat to have time alone with God. But then the disciples hunt him down. And literally, the Greek word is hunt him down. Not search for him, but they hunted him down. And then the cycle reboots again and again, as we'll read in the rest of Mark and all the other Gospels. And it's a very hectic itinerary. And maybe that's why it's in the Bible. 
Because these three stories of one public, one personal, and one private, each of us gives us, each of them gives us a chance to kind of eavesdrop, if you will, on Jesus' spirituality. How he lived and the faith he practiced among the demands of an overwhelming world. And imagine walking to your office and someone coming up to say immediately, where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. Where are you? What is your first response? What's the first thing you would do? I mean, you'd probably, besides go crazy, um, you want to prioritize things. You want to see who's calling, what's their need, maybe who's more important than someone else, do I do trustees first, staff parish, or ad board? You know, whatever you, you set those up. And maybe you'll skip lunch if there are a lot of things. And, but here, the disciples tell Jesus, there's a long line of people outside waiting to be healed and comforted. And what does Jesus do? He picks up and moves on to another place. Really? What's with that? And as many times as I've read this passage, it never ceases to amaze me that Jesus gets up early in the morning still, while it's still dark, that he might find a deserted place to pray. And that's a part of me that finds this so very strange, so very foreign, foreign that it's even disorienting. And I mean, there are, there's work to do. There are hurting people, sick people, possessed people, people who are lost and weary and sinking into the depths of despair. And couldn't he just kind of give up this early morning prayer session and, and open the office a little bit earlier today? Couldn't he have just stuck around a little while longer and take away some of the pain of the people who are hurting? And I wonder if Jesus was the senior pastor of a church. Could he have gotten away with this modus operandi? And can't you just hear people saying with angry voices as they sit around the coffee pot about how the good reverend must be slacking off a little bit. I know pastor friends who tell me of people who complain because they drive by the parking lot and they don't see the car parked there in front of the church office. And I wonder if the disciples and the people walk by and say, where is Jesus' chariot? I don't see it in the parking lot at the synagogue. And, and so we're always looking around, and did he really have to go to annual conference? There's so many things that we need to do right here. Can't we open the office a few hours earlier? Isn't that why we pay him? Apparently not. And I see a couple of things going on here. First, as vitally important as it was that Jesus' earthly ministry was, it wasn't so important that Jesus didn't have time to take care of himself and his connection with God, with his Heavenly Father. And if Jesus can't find time to care for his spiritual nature, as well as his own spiritual nurture, how much more can we find the same when we need it? The good news is that we are not the Savior of the world. That job's taken. But even Jesus needed time to connect with God, time alone. And secondly, Jesus shows us that you don't have to do it all. You can't save everyone. And sometimes you just have to pick up and go where the Spirit leads you, even if it means there's still a need. Because honestly, there are always going to be people in need. It's disorienting because it's a totally different way of thinking about existence, about our careers, about retirement, and even in ministry. And it demonstrates so clearly that the world does not revolve around me or you. 
we are more than the task that we tried to accomplish. Many years ago, Julie and I were part of a group of other pastors, and we had a cohort, and we met for three years, three times a year for a three-day retreat. And it was wonderful because when we gathered out in Forest Falls, the first thing we did was pack a brown bag lunch, get our journal, and disappear for about three hours and just have quiet time, or as the word would be, stasio, quiet time. And out of that time, at the end of the three years, one of the phrases I learned that I really adhered to is that you have done enough because you are enough. You have done enough because you are enough. And there are many times that as I'm leaving the church parking lot, I would call Julie and say, I have done enough because I am enough. We need to hear that over and over again. And we look at Jesus waking up at dawn and finding a quiet place to connect with God. It's sometimes the most important thing we can do. And maybe in this story, in the Gospel of Mark, the early church saw themselves needing to do that because there they are rushing around trying to meet needs, deal with various venues of ministry, while at the same time trying to tend to their own spirituality that had drawn them to Jesus in the first place. And here we have that beautiful intersection of holy and human, where faith meets the road, if you will. Because everyone loves it when Jesus shows up. His presence makes a difference. Things happen, mother-in-laws are healed, the sick are cured, de- cured, demons are cast out, lives are changed. And this is true not only for the people of Capernaum at that time, but also for us here and now. Jesus comes to our house, surely as he went to the house of Simon and Andrew. And let me tell you about some of the houses that I know that Jesus went to visit. I know of several prison inmates who share their faith in Jesus with one another, as well as their sons who are locked up in another prison. I remember a man who had a vision of Jesus reaching out and taking him by the hand to tend to the poor. I've heard men and women tell the story of how Jesus called them into ministry. And others tell me how Jesus' strength and grace carried them through days that they weren't sure that they could even survive. And I've been at hospitals with families waiting and watching as a loved one is removed from life support. Each one was a holy death. And there are lots of people who get together and talk about their moments closest to Christ. When was the last time you shared your closest moment with Christ with someone else? It happens. And these experiences are real. Jesus is present and active in our lives and the world. These are the kinds of things that Mark's gospel tells us. For people lined up at Jesus' door. And faith comes a bit easier in those moments. Jesus is real. His presence is felt. Results are seen. All is well. But, and there's always a but, what happens when we waken up to ourselves and there is a nighttime of life when life is coming too fast at us? And you know as well as I do that there are times when life is just plain hard. We don't get our way. Things happen that should not happen. Faith is difficult and results are not so tangible. And when life is coming at you, it seems as if there is only darkness and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. And some assume he has forsaken us and they will abandon their faith and others will give up on the church and on Jesus himself. So what do we do 
when Jesus sneaks off and we feel all alone? That's the nighttime question. And according to today's gospel lesson, that time will come. Jesus will get up early in the morning and while it's still very dark and he goes off to a deserted place. That's not, however, about Jesus escaping or getting away. It's about prayer. It's his and ours, our time to pray. It's no longer about what is happening around us or to us, but what is happening within us. And regardless of how dark it may seem, Jesus never leaves us. He may withdraw, but that doesn't mean he is absent. His withdrawing is reality and invitation for us to move to a new place, even to that deserted place. He calls us out of the comfort of the house into the vulnerability of the wilderness. It is a deserted place, a place where there is only prayer. There we are alone with the alone with God. And we all have deserted places in our lives. For some, it's accepting the limitations that age and disease brings. Others deal with broken relationships. Loneliness and grief are desert places for so many of us. We struggle to make ends meet or with a drought-stricken falling economy. It's tough out there. It's living in a wilderness. And we all can name our own wilderness and our own deserts. And most of us don't like these desert places. We tend to avoid them. They're empty places that can be scary and dangerous. There is nowhere to hide. We have to face up to who we are and who we are not. We are confronted by things done and left undone. We are not in control. And time in this deserted place is a matter of life and death, it seems. But... And again, there's that word again, but it's also the place where our deepest healing can happen. But there is a price. There's a price for going to the wilderness. That means we have to trade the security of this house for the risk of the desert. The wilderness is a place of self-surrender where we pray and we begin to replace that house of prayer that only asks for things to happen or change. The wilderness prayer doesn't ask so much that circumstances will be changed, but that we will be changed. And Jesus goes to this deserted place to draw us there. Because if he didn't go, chances are we would not go there either. And these desert places of our lives, they're sacred places. They're places for us to connect with God. And the deserted the, the, the desert places, the deserted places, the wilderness places of our lives, these are the places of Jesus' prayers. They are the starting points for his message of good news. And all throughout the Bible, we hear being in a desert where things sprout and grow because new life arises from these empty places. I think I can safely say that we all appreciate the tension between the external and the internal. Which leads me to this wonderful punchline from the passage that Cindy read from Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth, of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is 
unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strength to the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I suspect that Jesus was up to this sequestering of himself in this deserted place to pray. And perhaps by tending to his prayer life, he found perspective and clarity above the fray, almost like wings of an eagle looking over the woes and the foes of life. So when life comes at you this week, when you feel that you're in a deserted place, you'll be ready. You've paused, you've pondered, and you've prayed. And you may be a tired person, a tired parent, or even a tired minister. And yes, you've had to make tough choices, but do you have tough faith? And even before the new week begins, you found a good place to remember your life is grounded in the goodness of God. And you remember, you have done enough because you are enough. Say it again with me. You have done enough because you are enough. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. All loving God, we give thanks that wherever you lead us, Whatever the terrain, whether it's in front of a house or in a wilderness, you will meet us there, and that will be enough. In the name of the one who came to dwell and live among us, we pray this. Amen.